G'day. Welcome to Lunch Money. We are your online and social media home for special situations, workouts, and capital raising professionals. My name is Nick Samios. I am the fund manager and director here at Hermes Capital, and I am your live stream and podcast host. So uh, once again, a very special welcome to you. Thank you for joining episode 46. Um, Today's, uh, I'm very excited about today's episode. We talk about all kinds of different special situations, distressed investing, mergers and acquisitions, and today we're going to focus in on startups. Um, we talk about the, there's a lot of money around, a lot of uh, investment funds are looking for places to put their money, and startups, uh, startups are, are seeing some of the benefits of that. So uh, we'll get to that with our special guests very shortly. Um, I would like to remind you, as usual, to share like or subscribe to our humble podcast and live stream. Um, give us a share and give us a like and set the notification bell too. And that way, um, whenever we go on, you, you won't miss an episode. With no further ado, I would like to introduce our first guest. G'day, Gino. Hi, Nick. How are you? Not too bad at all. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Uh, Gino is an investor. He's got a background in corporate finance and banking and property. He's a managing director of Mara Capital, um, but he's also the chairman of the newest A-League club, uh, MacArthur FC, the MacArthur Bulls, who uh, I reckon are going pretty well, given that they're uh, they're a new club. Um, and they've, uh, they've certainly been very exciting to watch of late when I've tuned into some of those games. Um, uh, you're also... You're chairman of, uh, of, of another company and you're on the board of directors of, of other companies. There's Opus and Penitel. Um, so you are a very, very busy man. Well, what is it that keeps you busy the most this last week? Oh, look, the last week I'd, I'd actually say um, Penitel. Um, you know, we completed that acquisition on the, the 5th of uh, this month and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting one, um, you know, just trying to, you know, bring some different teams together and, um, you know, just getting around how, you know, different things are, uh, are happening. It's 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 different uh, when you've got a deal deck and you've signed off on something and, uh, you know, you actually look at it once it's complete and the, the transaction's done and, you know, how things may be better or worse. But, uh, yeah, no, it's been a busy week. And, and is that a... Um, is that a uh... A startup company itself, or it's an established business. So, when you say we, do you mean your your investment fund? Yeah, the well, the the investment group that uh, acquired it. So, um, we have a another phone company called MeSim, um, and that acquired uh, Penitel. Uh, Penitel's been around for about eight nine years. Uh, has roughly about thirty thousand uh, customers. Um, it uh, it basically rents space from the uh, the Telstra network. And, um, yeah, and it's a good fit to MeSim, whereas MeSim's basically an MBN company. Penitel's just a, a mobile company and sort of bringing the two together. And you're also, uh, is it Opus? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, o Opus, yep, Opus Industrial. And that's a waste management company? Yes, it's a waste management company, technology. Um, I was lucky enough to be asked to come on as a seed investor and then later as a as chair. Um, that's a really exciting, uh, exciting business. Um, you know, that's uh, basically treating organic waste um, and looking at um, the the processing, basically turning the the waste into CO two and the CO two into hydrogen. Wow! Wow! So, okay. Yeah, the hydrogen charges a machine, but uh, yeah, it's total uh, looping of uh, of waste. And that's a genuine startup. 
Yeah, Genuine Startup um, started off uh, about three years ago. Um, and the last probably two years is just, uh, you know, contracts, getting the technology. Um, the patent has 187,000 pages of documents. My God. So, um, yeah, we've, we've been spending a lot of time on that. And we've gone from four staff uh, to about 30 staff in six months. Wow, that's fantastic. And, of course, uh, on top of all that, you're the chairman of MacArthur FC. Yes. Um, yeah, that's that, that. That's the fun bit of work. So, yeah. so look at, you know, it's, uh, what do they say? Those who can't play either coach and uh, if you're lucky enough, you get to own a, a team. And, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, no, it's, a, it's really exciting, um, Nick. And, I, you know, I just, um, you know, it's, it's a business. Uh, you know, is it? You know, there's a a lot of you know, nearly forty staff, including players. Um, you know, it's a, you know, nearly a twenty million dollar turnover business. Um, you know, it's only business to start in the middle of COVID. Uh, or sorry, football uh, or professional sports team to start worldwide in the middle of COVID. Um, so you know, it, it's it's had its challenges, but uh, it definitely has had its rewards. But it's amazing, you know, uh, where that, you know, it's just a business. You say. I mean, it could go anywhere. I mean, you know, that you, you finish, uh, is, it, is it in the top two? If you finish top two, you, next thing you know, once COVID's out of the way, you're playing in Asia. Yeah, 100%. And, um, yeah, look, you know, it, it's a really interesting um, competition this year. You know, uh, Central Coast linked 25 points, um, Sydney FC in sixth place on 19, and between second and uh and six, there's two points. So lose two games and you find you're out of the six, you can fall to seventh, eighth, ninth. You know, it's it's a real, real aggressive uh, competition this year. Yeah, look, it's it's fantastic. It's very exciting. I'll, I'd, I'd love I'll, I'll have to get out to uh, to watch one of your home games. The the uh, I saw it in the wet the other day and it, it seemed like the, the rain didn't trouble you at all. It, it just, uh, yeah, the surface looked like it was fantastic. So you've got a great ground out there as well. Yeah, it's great. It's it's probably the best field from a drainage perspective in the league. Um, yeah. It's some crazy figure like, you know, 400,000 litres an hour. Wow. Uh, so Campbelltown Council has done a phenomenal job, um, you know, getting that stadium to, to where it is. But it's good. Every time it rains, we win. So I'm hoping it rains this weekend. Okay, good mud runners. All right, listen, we're going to put you in the waiting room, Gino, and we're going to introduce our next guest. Our next guest is Nick Hitchens. G'day, Nick. How are hey, you? Nick. Very well, and you? Fantastic. I am fantastic. Uh, Nick is a lawyer with uh, Hitch Advisory. Uh, he specialises in uh, well, structuring uh, M&As, uh, all sorts of advice to uh, startups, um, uh, dispute resolution, commercial agreements, capital raising, etc. Um, and you're also uh, on the advisory board of the Boathouse Group, I noticed, so that must have been pretty exciting a year or so ago. Um, what is it that keeps you... Uh, yeah, I can imagine. What is it that's been keeping you busy this week? You said that you've got a capital raise getting up, getting away today? Uh, I've got a, a, an M&A, a childcare M&A getting away today, so that's been a, quite a substantial one, so that should finish uh, around uh, lunchtime. We've also been working on a franchise rollout for a a new range of health and beauty clinics. So that's been keeping us busy. Uh, we've been raising capital for a, uh, a drone uh, technology software as a service piece. So they'll be going for their second round of raising capital and putting in place an employee share plan. 
And also probably the other big project this week is assisting some guys with the legals on a, uh, on a, on a new hotel joint venture. So a few, wow. few different fingers in different pies. Okay, so they're all different aspects of uh, of capital raising and you know buying and selling businesses and startups and, and all that sort of thing. That's interesting about the uh, the drone business. We one of our early episodes of uh, of lunch money. We had the uh, the CEO of uh, Orbital, who is a listed company uh, out of out of West Australia. I don't know if you know those guys. I've heard of them. Yes. Yeah, they started out as the Orbital Engine Company, but uh, these days uh, they provide. Uh, uh, propulsion systems for uh, military drones. So uh, okay. they're very interesting. Yeah, there's all very sorts of stuff. Yeah, and uh, and and so and, and who do you who are you mainly engaging with? Accounting firms, PE firms. I mean, who is it you're mainly working for? Yeah, so we sort of have three main sort of core core client or referral relationships. Obviously, private business owners are our most significant. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of grown-up mum and dad businesses, if you like. Um, then we have our, you know, accountancy and, and corporate advisor clients um, and referral partners. And then we have our pure play startups. So guys that guys that have an idea, uh, they come to us, they need assistance with raising capital. We, we don't do the introductions, uh, but, but we do assist them with the legals and the structuring of, of that capital raising process. Right. Okay, well then that's that's interesting, um, and so so just I mean I'm I'm just interested when someone comes to you as a startup. Uh, I mean I know that you know you're obviously a, a generous soul, and I'm sure you you know love to see people succeed. But at the end of the day, you're running a business, you've got staff, you need to get paid. Um, so what? How is it that you, you choose who to you know who to take on and and and, and who not to? Yeah, you, you've yeah, you make a really good point, and I think I've spent a lot of time in in my boardroom over the last six or seven years, you know, with with ideas that with ideas that you know are going nowhere, but you give people the time of day regardless because you don't know whether even if it's not that venture, it might be the next one. So, um, I cert I certainly always certainly always try and give people the time of day, and you know, if it takes half an hour or an hour, so be it. It's it's time well spent. Um, and we'll point them in the right direction and we can introduce them pretty quickly to their, you know, an R&D tax advisor, an accountant, uh, someone that can help them with their early stage innovation company approval, all of those sort of things that make them a viable startup when they do go to see different angel investors and different PE firms. Um, you know, it, it doesn't hurt for me to have a bit of a chat or for one of my team to have a bit of a chat for half an hour. Yeah, it's interesting, I suppose. It's a little bit like, you know, if the managing partner at Picture Partners wants you to have a talk to someone, I guess, you know, you say yes, because this this next hour might be a waste of time. But of course, that same partner uh, could, could bring you in, uh, you know, the uh, the next unicorn for all you know, the next time they drop by. So there's a bit of that. But it's also, I mean, what's interesting about, you know, as I say, I'm more sort of in the, the distressed turnaround space. You know, we, we do do a bit of M&A and a bit of, uh, you know, um, uh, start up as well but uh, it's all about and what's something you just mentioned there it's all about the team isn't it in, in each of these scenarios it's you know the legal teams and the accountants and the other advisors I think that's right and, and you're right because we do both startup and we do distressed we do a lot of distress work as well particularly distressed M&A activity um, you know we, we did a number of distressed deals last year um, probably most notab notably, we acted on the sale of Matt Blatt's IP to Kogan uh, in in May. Um, but but 
I think you're right. The thing with most of these deals uh, is whether someone can, you know, A, back the people involved and B, how, how switched on are their advisors and are their advisors working cohesively together. We've got one awful M&A deal at the moment where it's an Australian business. They've appointed a corporate advisor out of New Zealand who can't travel here. He's appointed his mates who are New Zealand council as lead counsel so right. we've got this dog's breakfast of an information memorandum for an Australian business yeah. uh, that, that's all based out of NZ. Um, so you, you really do disadvantage the client if, if the advisor team isn't working cohesively. Yeah, well, then a different challenge, of course, is if you find out that the weakest link in the advisor team is the one that refers you the matter as well. But uh, that's yeah. another that's another that's, challenge. Yes. You sort yeah, of uh, laugh a... knowingly there, so I'm sure it's, it's happened to you as well. All right, listen, yeah. let's uh, let's let's bring uh, Gino back. Uh, now, I think on the weekend, Gino actually had to pull on a jersey. And is this you on the park, Gino, scoring some goals? Let's just have a quick look. Part of this match is Franjic. Derby How good was that? I mean, that was spectacular. Well done, Gino. <laughs> I do try my best. I've got to tell you, I mean, because I knew Gino, I mean, I, 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 I sort of tune, tune into to A-League, but I have watched a couple of those games and it's just, it's world class. It really is. It's fantastic. Uh, Gino, um, I'm wondering, I mean, a little bit like Nick, uh, you know, obviously in the position that you're in, you get... Lots of uh, lots of people wanting your involvement in their in their startups. I mean, how is it? I mean, how do you? What is there anything mentally, either formally or informally, that you ask yourself before you get involved? I mean, are there any special criteria, or is it a couple of golden rules? Yeah. Look, the, the the first thing for us is you know again you know where's the where's the lead come from and you know like you said earlier if you know if it's somebody that gives you a lot of good business. Um, you know, you, you sit down with them and, and at very worst, you know, you, you make a contact and, and like Nick said, you know, they might find the next thing that's a cracker. Um, so, you know, it's all about treating people with respect and, um, you know, you know and it hopefully comes back the, the same way. Um, for, for me, every deal we go in with, I know it sounds strange, but, you know, is it the type of person you can sit down and have a beer with if there's an issue and say, listen, we've got to sort sort this out or this isn't making sense is very in, uh, important to us. The first thing that you said is actually at the top of my list here and that's that's people and management team. Yeah. Um, you know, so Nick, I mean, how important is management team when, when you look at these situations? Yeah, entirely, Nick. I think, you know, our, our bread and butter is drafting documents and, and, and thinking about the worst case scenario. And I'll always sort of say to, to clients and stakeholders, this document if it's done correctly should never come out of the drawer because if you you know if you don't like and enjoy the people you're in business with then then the deal's going nowhere it's dead in the water so um for, for me it's fundamental and i think uh if people get along well and they enjoy working together then that's that's the that's the key ingredient in, in any business deal uh, now, I do have some, there is a lawyer that plays on the MacArthur Bulls. Now, I'm sorry, this is a bit of a lawyer joke, Nick, so you'll have to <laughs> hear me here. But Fine. this is the lawyer uh, just, just stopping the bad ideas from getting through. Cabell, to make the 
I mean, that was absolutely sensational. That, but but you need someone on your team that uh, that can certainly can certainly do that. Um, that that guy. Where did you find that guy, Gina? I mean, so, um, Ante's known um, Adam oh, from the Socceroos days. Uh, I think they were in camp together. I think Ante was finishing, and uh, and these guys were coming through. But like Ante's a, a good example about a startup where. All of those players that have come across from overseas and so forth, either their agents know Ante or the players know Ante. And Mark Milligan's a perfect example. Um, you know, that it makes no sense at all for Mark Milligan to finish his career with a startup in Australia. Um, mm. The most capped Socceroo, but strong relationship with Ante and, um, you know, came back. But that clip, I'll tell you a funny story about that. So one of the, the sponsors behind it, entry-level sponsorship and uh that clip has that weekend was shown over a million times can i tell you i mean it's worth the, it's worth the entry fee just to see that that's a few seconds again it's just world class that is absolutely world class but i guess it goes you know talking about talking about management team i mean it makes the point beautifully doesn't it i mean you've just explained it there uh whether it's on the football park or uh, or or, uh, or in business um, it's and, and I guess it, I mean you know one of the bullet points here I've got when it comes to management team is motivation. So I mean, what what is it that motivates uh, you know mo motivates um, uh, well what is it that motivates Ante to get involved you know in a startup a, a league club? Look, Ante is um, a very very competitive person, um, but again came back to relationships. So what they'll the partners who's in the football club is also the CEO here. He and Ante um, have known each other for, you know, 30-odd years and, um, you know, a lot of respect there. I think he gave Ante, um, you know, one of his first coaching gigs after he finished playing. Um, and, you know, same with Mark Rudin uh, at Western United and, and, and close relationship with Tony Popovich. They – there's – that they wanted to come back and, and do something exciting. And, you know, and people that remember, Ante left the Matildas um, to come into a, a startup and, um, you know, took a, a lot of courage, um, a lot of trust. But for us as well, um, as a startup, we looked at who could come in and do the job and allow us to do everything off the field and not have to worry about. You know uh, the football, and and Ante's done a phenomenal job um, managing that football department, and um, you know, and it's allowed us to manoeuvre through COVID, knowing that you know we haven't had the the issues off the field. Oh, sorry, on on the field. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Now, Nick, um, we were talking a little bit earlier. There's, you know, one one of the things, one of the consequences, partly of central banks responding to COVID around the world uh, in terms of uh, QE uh, and also, uh, you know, government support such as in Australia, JobKeeper. It means there is a wall of money out there, and so there's certainly a wall of money for M and A deals. And uh, you were saying there's also there's also a lot of money coming in for for startups as well. Yeah, that's right, Nick. I mean, we've seen so much. I, I think there's sort of the three, three cry, the three categories that we see so much of, and you'll be familiar with these. That the private debt market in the last few years, and even in 2020, has just gone absolutely through the roof. Um, as banks have sort of tapered away a little, as the big four have tapered a little bit away from the the business banking sector, either 
you know, smaller banks or the, or the private peer-to-peer lending market in Australia has just gone th- through the roof. Um, then obviously the, the capital raising uh, startups are getting funded quite quickly uh, and, and from a much earlier stage. So typically we used to see Australia as a very conservative startup market compared to the US. And basically in Australia you wouldn't raise capital until you're almost a scale-up. By definition, what, what we mean by that is you had a bit of revenue, you had some traction, whereas now we're seeing that much earlier at idea stage. Um, and then obviously the third category is, as you mentioned, M&A activity. We've seen a lot of non-distressed, uh, non-distressed M&A and particularly now that the foreign investment review uh, threshold has, has been lifted, um, lifted back away from, from zero dollars. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I know some people that sold a business uh, not so long ago, and I think one of their regrets is that they sold it back then and not now. You know, it's uh, it's a little bit like that. Yeah, um, so one of the very interesting things that you said a little bit earlier, Gino, was uh, you know we all think about all the money that's around, but you you were saying it's actually created a different problem is is, is deciding who to take the money from. So so tell me a little bit about that problem and uh, and how you go about solving it. Yeah, look, we've. Um on the 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 open space mint, uh, business, we've had a couple of offers from some, some great investment firms, um, private equity, I should say, but they, they just weren't the right fit for what the organisation is trying to achieve, but also, um, you know, how they do things to how we're structured. And, and I think, um, you know, from, from our perspective, you know, I think a lot of, you know, startups, you, you've, you've got to look at, um, not just getting the money, but um, you know who your partners are. You know, are they going to drive, the, you know, the business the same way that you want to drive it? Um, you know, uh, you know, do they have the same v- vision? So, the money is probably the smallest part of uh, of an of an investment from from our perspective, um, because you can get caught that you know somebody does want to go globally or you know, doesn't want to manufacture, they just want to, um, you know, outsource. Um, so you've got to look at every, every bit of uh, the whole investment um, to make sure it's the right thing. It's interesting. I mean, one of my, I love watching um, Dragon's Den. I don't know if you, any of you guys watch Dragon's Den. The, the UK version is fantastic. And you've got, the, you know, it starts off with the, the incomes, the entrepreneur pitching their ideas, and there's the five dragons. But occasionally you get someone who comes in with that red hot idea. And then, uh, then the dragons are pitching to them. You know, well, you should you should pick me because um, you know I've got some connections to these overseas markets and and all of that sort of stuff. So it's interesting, Gino. You, you know, maybe in this market, the the, the shoes on the other foot. No, hundred percent. And um, you know, if, when you're looking at uh, you know a, a capital raise, is you know my advice for a lot of people is, you know, what else can they bring to the table besides the money? You know, um, you might have uh, a business that's got some real smart on the on the tech side finance accounting legal but um you know they they struggle with marketing um so you you've got to, you've got to look at you know what is what is best on that investment and and what 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 do you need outside of of cash okay uh nick any sort of uh, comments on that 
Yeah, I think that yeah, those comments are right. You get into kind of a reverse due diligence phase, and you know, where where basically you say, well, you know, what what can this investor? You know, I've got half a dozen term sheets on the table. What can this investor bring to the table from an operational or or a growth perspective beyond the cash? The amount of early stage startups and scale ups I've seen where people have given away, you know, a couple of percent sweat equity here and there, um, uh, you know, to people that have then gone on to do effectively nothing for them. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, I'm not saying this is the case in this instance, but we've all seen in in the media how many how many option holders they've have done exceptionally well out of afterpay. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting for a moment that they didn't didn't earn their sweat, uh, but but it, it can have some very big big dollar sum, signs in front of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, yeah, that's interesting. And, and it's also something, I mean, you've been around for a little while. I mean, this is not a problem that was around, you know, five years ago. I mean, it's, when, when did it all flip? Was it GFC or was it, you know, more recently with, with this COVID or? In, in terms of, uh, look, I, I think it's always, uh, to be honest with you, it's always been there for me in the sense that people get in quite early. There's, there's always some, you know, there's often a couple of opportunistic you know, angels or advisors circling around, they'll do, you know, what should be a five grand fee for service for, for three or four percent in equity. And if that, that that business goes well, then they've they've got a very handsome paycheck. It is what it is. I mean a, a lot of my uh, um, you know, one of my clients recently just sold to a, a large European listed firm in the in the tech space. They'd signed a deal with a corporate advisor where he effectively got 15% of their exit proceeds. Now, any day of the week, 15% is not market. But when you're, you know, when you're a 20 year old founder uh, in a, in a tech business, and this person seems to be your only hope for for growth, then they're signing these kind of documents uninformed. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, we'll come to that. Uh, I think you sort of segued into my next my next little heading that I've got in front of me here, which is legal mistakes. But I know that sometimes when we get introduced to a matter, say somebody knows someone who's got a business that they're trying to raise capital, but this per- and, and we've come to them genuinely through the side door. You know, it might be you know a relative or some other connection, but they've signed a mandate. Um, you know, they've signed a mandate with someone, and that other, you know, the other mandates, the person who's, who's got the mandate has really done nothing. But uh, they're standing there, I guess they're legally entitled to, to a slice of the pie. Um, we see a hu- huge amount of that. And I, I don't know, I don't know the answer to how you get, because you made the point at the outset how do I have someone come and sit in my office and say, look, oh, here's, here's a bill for five grand for the privilege? That's just not going to happen. But there needs to be a bit, better way to educate them on some, some basic sort of tips and and traps that they can find themselves in when they're doing those first initial equity deals uh, because uh, we see them get into trouble time and time again. And what are some of the legal horror shows, Nick? We'll, we'll come, we'll, and then I'll ask Gina if you've seen any of those. What are some of the legal disasters that maybe you've come in, you know, the second guy in and you've seen, you know, whether or not they're co-founder agreements or what, what are the sort of things that, that people make mistakes on? Co-founder stuff, uh, you know, usually those people come to a party with with relatively equal bargaining power. But the first kind of the first cracks start to appear with those sweat advisors who promise the world and and, and deliver nothing, uh, and then they are holding on to a, a reasonable percentage of equity that they possibly shouldn't. Then the other thing is probably the first opportunistic cash investor 
um, and the level of control. I mean, we've seen some, we've seen some stuff where you know the level of control is absolutely, um, you know, the the balance is 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 way too uh, in favour of one party over the other. So much so that we've seen IP rights for all of North America basically wow. given to the investor uh, with, with no consideration whatsoever. Now these things aren't transaction, unlike an insolvent transaction. Uh, an insolvent transaction, Nick, which you know you'd be familiar with the distress space. These aren't voidable transactions. These are handshake right. commercial agreements that are enforceable. Right. That's interesting, Gino. I mean, what we're talking about here is, you know, I guess maybe first round. You know, maybe that's the private investor. Someone's gone in, and they've just taken a, a huge chunk of the pie, and maybe you know, maybe they're blocking the next round of capital. Um, I mean, I, I see this, you know, in debt deals. You know, you see people have come in and maybe taken too much security, or they've taken uh, security for their fees and all that, all that sort of stuff. But how do you? How I guess on one hand, you're keen to get that first round of capital. How do you balance? You know, you're all hot and hot and heavy. You want that first round of capital, but you don't want to lose uh, lose the second. You know, you don't want to block the second round. I'll come back to you in a sec, Gina. I'll just go to Nick first. I think the ba- I think the ba- the economy's shifting the balance of power back the other way, Nick, to some extent. So the more cash there is in the economy, the less uh, the less of that opportunistic um the opportunistic behavior we're sort of seeing because people are saying well we've got options here from a funding perspective uh, so therefore we'll we'll take uh we'll take um we'll take an investor that, that is dealing on more balanced terms and to overlay that there's actually a lot more of startup and scale up debt happening than than historically you know, businesses that weren't getting debt funding because of this private debt market and because of this neo bank market are getting funded where previously they wouldn't have get, got funded because they wouldn't have had bricks and mortar. So we're seeing founders of startups and early stage scale ups saying, well, hang on a minute, is there a debt option here? Because an interest rate sub 5% is probably cheaper than, uh, than the equity I have to give away if I back myself. Um, so we're seeing a lot more of that. And uh, Gino, in, in your experience, are you? I mean, you've been involved in a number of startups, obviously, and, and uh, early stage. Uh, is it something where you say well, we don't have to give equity away? We're going to give you the royal opportunity of, of of some debt in this thing. Is that? Are you seeing that? Yeah. Look, we're you know we're, we're looking at a lot of deals. I'm seeing a lot of deals where you know we've got convertible notes going in. Because uh, we're not 100% sure um, on the transaction, um, there's something there. Um, so there's a lot of that, a lot of that going on. But going back to your legal issue, sorry, because I, I cut out. Um, I'm seeing a, a lot of these startups aren't getting the the right advice um, legally, and it's coming back to bite them. And and you know, you, you're trying to save costs, and unfortunately, startups you know, start to look at cutting costs in the wrong spots. And the the two areas that you just can't afford to do it is having the right accounting advice, but also definitely the right legal advice, um, you know, especially when it comes to things like shareholders agreements, you know, uh, fund agreements or debt agreements. Um, you know, if it's not done right, um, you know, like I said, you can be selling a business for a couple of hundred million dollars and you've got to give 15% away. 
Yeah, I guess uh, it's a little bit like a marriage, isn't it? It was all—it's all very well when uh, when there's no assets and no business and nothing really much of value. But down the track, who knows? Um, I, I mean, we'll give Nick a free kick, Gino, but I'll I'll ask it to you and then I'll come to Nick. I mean, what what are some of the criteria to make sure that the, you've got the right lawyer? Look, the the first thing is you know it comes down to how we do business. Is you know do you have a relationship with a person? Um, you know, and and. If you can trust the person, well, then that's the second, th- the, the key key thing. And but when it comes to uh, legal ad- legal advice, you know, do they specialise in that? You know, are you going to just a, a a local lawyer who just does conveyancing and might do one or two corporate deals, or are you going to someone like Nick, who, for example, specialises in M and A's and corporate advice? Um, yeah, that's the thing you've got to be looking at. Well, we'll turn we'll turn the table a little bit on that, Nick. I mean, uh, when, when, the other thing is sometimes you might be coming to you've got a, you've got a client who's come to you uh, first, and they haven't chosen. You know, there's a lot of uh, debt advisory and PE firms and accounting firms that have got uh, M and A departments and capital raising departments. I mean, how do you choose the right capital raising partner? Gino's right. I mean, you you really need to find uh, you need to analyse the size of the business and where they're at and then find the right sort of corporate advisor for, for that market depending on who you have relationships with. I think anyone that's sort of, and that's part of the problem with, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of marketplaces and platforms that have had a dabble in just trying to create an investor and target, you know, technology marketplace where you can basically jump on your phone, find a target company and put 200 grand in, get a tax deduction for it. Um, but really in Australia, and I don't know if that's working overseas, but in Australia we are really in our infancy in that regard and we, we do business on relationship. Um, and I think we, we still take a lot of comfort from the fact that, you know, somebody knows somebody and that person's a, a de- decent operator. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, look, something we, we haven't talked about business plans and all that sort of stuff. We're, we're going to just take that as a given that, uh, that that you need to have a decent business plan, and uh, you, you certainly need to have your ideas communicated succinctly. Is 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 my view. I mean, we get a lot of people approaching us. You know, if you've got a, a, a two pager that lays it all out, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot better than someone just ringing you up saying, "Look, I'm looking at doing in this, and I've got a half baked that." Uh, that certainly doesn't work. But we'll take that as a given. But having said that, um, I mean, how do you, you know, who should do the pitch deck? Um, uh, I'll come to you, Nick, and then I'll ask you, Jim. I mean, who should who should prepare a pitch deck? Should it be prepared by the, the company? Do they should they engage external accounting firms? I mean, what what's your view? Look, I, I think really the uh, the marketing piece and and the fancy the fancy sort of content should be prepared by the founders, you know, or, or some kind of digital agency if they've got the budget. Usually they don't. But I'm a strong believer in sending them to an accountant as soon as possible to pressure test their numbers because there's nothing worse than seeing a pitch deck when, you know, when they're going through a capital raising process or the first round of due diligence and, and somebody comes in and just rips their numbers to shreds because they haven't pressure tested whether the forecasts are even plausible um i think that goes to one of the gripes i do have with startup founders and often they'll come into my office and i think you know they need to have done everything they can humanly do uh to to get the business as far as advanced far advanced as they can it's not enough just to come in and say here's my four page pdf idea do you think i can raise two million bucks you need when you're building a business you basically have to scrape 
beg, steal and borrow uh, to get as much of it off the ground as you can before you then take your pitch deck to market. Yeah, that's interesting. I saw uh, I saw on Twitter someone said uh, it's always it's rude to ask a question that you could have found out yourself on Google, and uh, it's a little bit of that, the same principle there. Well, what what do you think, um, Gina? Look, uh, my view with the pitch deck is I I only want to read it after they've spent you know a couple of hours telling us about their their business and you know their their dream of it, and um, you know they the founder knows it back to front. Um, you know, I've had meetings with. Um, you know, potential deals where they've brought their accountant and their lawyer along and, you know, and, and the founders just sat there and and not talked about it. Um, you know, and in one case we actually asked the, the their lawyer and accountant to leave the room and said, okay, now talk to me about the deal and we ended up investing. Um, you know, the, the pitch deck is what I want to summarise after these guys have, have actually left. Um, you know, you, you've the founders got to be able to, you know, talk from the heart, um, you know, knows the back to front, um, you know, the, knows the numbers, um, you know, and, and then you get into it with the accountant and the solicitor later on in the, at a second stage. And, and I think a lot of a lot of guys, you know, get dragged into the, oh, you know, let me come along, I'm your accountant and I'll explain it. And, you know, um, like I said, it's, you, you, you've got to love it. You, you've got to have everything invested in motion into it and, if the founder is like that, then you know, you get excited. I, I, I certainly, you certainly want to see a bit of passion. The other, the other thing is, you you certainly want to have workshopped answering all the obvious questions. There's nothing like sitting in front of someone and you you know you're asking them about the size of the opportunity, the different niches in the market, how you're going to get early traction, who are the competition, you know, what do you compare? All those obvious things, and if you can. You know, if you've got the answers, just rattling off. Now, look, uh, Ken Elm Tonkin's just thrown in a question here, um, and you, you mentioned pressure-tested, Nick. I'm, I'm going to go back and, and, and listen to this again. You, you've given me a whole new glossary here. We've got the reverse due diligence. Uh, we've got the uh, the, uh, the pressure-testing. What, what do you mean by that? I basically mean to, to go through and say, well, you know, where are our sources of revenue from, from this potential business? Where do we get our first one, ten, ten thousand customers from? What's their expected spend? What do we think that what do we think our fixed costs are going to be at that time and and, and you know our variable costs as it scales up? So I think most you know, most good accountants can can do a cash flow and a, a profitability and cash burn forecast on that basis. To the second part of, of the question in terms of revenue optimism, I think that you know what I see from, from smart investors and smart money is they'd much rather see revenue realism than fake optimism. So I think you know your numbers should be you should paint the blue sky, but the blue sky should be possible and not not fanciful. Um, and it raises something in my mind that's probably important that I really like to see at that pitch back pitch deck stage or or you know go to market stage and that is the shopping list and i kind of take a view that these startups and scale-ups shouldn't raise more cash than they actually have to and that goes to to gino's point that really you should be a you should be in bed with with who you want to be in bed with and who you want to do business with and b you should only take the money you need for your you know your business shopping list and when i say shopping list it's kind of taking that cash flow forecast that they've done with their accountant and saying well what is our cash burn over the the next 12 18 24 months um and what are we going to spend the money raised on um and i think that's a really important point 
Yeah, well, that uh, the old sources and uses of funds. Um, yeah, where are you going to get the money from, and what are you exactly you going to spend it on? And, I, and, and just on that subject of forecasts, I, I like to see line items, uh, revenue line items. You know, if it's going to be B two B, who are the customers, and who are the customer segments? What are the product market segments as well? We've got a question here from Dan Tindall over in WA. Uh, how often are you seeing female founders asking for funds, and if not, why not? That's interesting. I mean, I, I'll just start on that. I saw something very interesting because uh, it's been. Um, International uh, Women's Day, etc. Uh, recently, so was, and I saw someone saying uh, there was there was a bit of a meme with uh, I am a female founder with the word female crossed out. Um, um, but I, I must admit, you know, certainly in my line of work, we, there's obviously a lot more. Um, uh, we see a lot more men uh, in business. I mean, why, why is it? Why do what do you see, Nick? And and if you're not seeing um, a sort of a lot more women, why do you think that is? I love doing business with, with, with female business owners, whether they're founders or whether they're operating established businesses. I think as, as guys, we often shoot from the hip um, and we, you know, we, we speak without thinking. Whereas I, often when I observe female business owners, they, you know, they take the stimulus, they pause and then they react. And I think that creates a, you know, often creates a much more logical business owner. Um, I've seen some really smart, uh, females that have both raised cap and gone through to really successful exit. Um, I certainly don't think there's any prejudice. In fact, I think even though a lot of the investors and a lot of the you know the private family office managers, the private equity guys, and the angel investors, even though for some reason they are male, and I'm I'm not sure of the reason, but um, you know I, that they, I certainly don't see any prejudice in people in either a female founders asking for money or, or b getting it. Well, what do you think, Gina? Yeah, look, um, I'd actually say, um, you know, three, four years ago, um, it'd be 20, 30%. Um, you know, we're getting pictures now, I'd say close to 40, 50, mm. um, growing. And, um, you know, our, our group CEO, um, I'm not sure if you've ever come across Kamala Galasso from ANZ. Um, she's oh, I haven't known. On the twelfth, um, you know, she she has a a, a real belief there's some some great deals there, and um, you know, I'm seeing more and more of it. So you know, I, I know the media, um, you know, on social media is talking, uh, uh, highlighting a lot of the facts that um, you know the, the opportunities aren't there, but we're we're seeing a lot more more uh, deals coming from 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 females. Yeah, I mean, look. At the risk of stereotyping, I'll say that when I do get deals, they're, they are better prepared, and I'm sorry, it's, it's just that that's just the way they are. And I wonder if because they are better prepared, they also may be more cautious. So maybe you see less because, uh, you know, because it, 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 certainly the ones that we encounter, are, you know, when, when we see females, they're, yeah, they're, they're more cautious. Maybe they're less likely to to take on undue risk. I don't know. I'd love to see some. I'm sure there's been studies done done on that. I'm sure if we if we went to Google Scholar, we might find something. Listen, guys, we um we we're uh, we've actually we've actually hit the 44 minute mark. So I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to ask you both for uh, your final comments uh, when it comes to uh, to startups. I'll start with you, Nick. Uh, so yeah, I think think my my final comments are get your advisor panel sorted early so a good accountant good lawyer um good you know either debt or source of 
you know, capital advisor, uh, understand your shopping list, what do you want to spend the money on, and then be as prepared as humanly possible. Because if you're not prepared to sweat, you know, some, some 12, 14-hour days in the pitch deck phase, then unfortunately, you know, my, my view is you won't make it. Okay. Thank you. Gina? Everything that Nick said plus one more thing, passion. Yep. Uh, you know, you've got to get in the door and, and you've got to believe in what, what you're trying to sell. Uh, doesn't matter what type of widget it is, um, you've, you've got to believe it and you, you've got to breathe it. And, you know, th- that is the, the biggest thing. And, and I'll keep, keep on coming back down to, you know, hard work. You know, if you're, you're only doing 18 hour, eight hours and the, the next person's doing 16 hours, well, they're throwing out double the amount of work you are. Um, you know, and, and you've got to have the passion in, and, and the belief in, in what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, there's no substitute for those hours. There's no doubt, no doubt about that. Who, who are you playing this week, Gina? Uh, Wellington in Wollongong. Ah, Wellington in Wollongong. Okay, no worries. Oh, I look forward to getting out to a home game, that's for sure. Listen, I'm going to say a big thank you to uh, Nick Hitchens from Hitch Advisory and Gino Murrah from MacArthur FC. And uh, thank you very much to our, our viewers and thank you to those of you who asked your questions. Thanks, Guillaume and, and Deanne. And uh, thank you, everybody. We look forward to doing it again soon. Cheers. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.